Well, thanks everybody for joining us. Uh, this is the Flashpoint Podcast. I am your host, Owen Higgins. If you are listening to us with the Colin app, thank you very much. Please be sure to subscribe to the show. If you're listening on Spotify or Apple, same deal. Please rate us as well. But we would really recommend that you uh, check out the call-in app so that you can call in and join us live, participate. Um, so today, uh, I am joined once again by Carol Schaefer, a journalist uh, from uh, the U.S., but she is currently in Poland. She's been reporting from there. She's been reporting from Ukraine, been doing a lot of good work on the refugee crisis Uh that's, you know, kind of coming out of the war, as most of you probably know, so far 10 million people have been displaced. I think something like 3.6 million are actually refugees in other countries. And there's a lot of chaos and uncertainty uh, around this situation. Uh, one of the issues is the concern over how certain actors are kind of taking advantage of this chaos in order to traffic people or to kind of take people in. Uh, and one of the people who is doing this is former Washington State Representative Matt Shea. Uh, he's a Republican. He's a far-right extremist. Uh, and I'm, I'm just going to quote from Seattle Times here. He was found by House Commission, State House Commission investigation to a plan to participate in domestic terrorism he is in a small town in Poland with more than 60 Ukrainian children tr trying to facilitate their adoption in America. Uh, Shea's record and his history and his beliefs are certainly of concern. Um, and there's been a lot said about, you know, the fact that this guy is in Poland with, you know, 62 Ukrainian children. There doesn't seem to be a lot of oversight or understanding of what he's doing. So, uh, Carol, today, I believe, uh, went to go check this out. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. I just got back to Warsaw about an hour ago. Yeah. So um, can you tell us a little bit more about this situation? Uh, you know, I, I know I covered a little bit of it, but if you can give us a little more detail on kind of what you were doing. Yeah. So um, Shay was, as far as I know, today, as of today, he has left. So uh, apparently he left as early as yesterday. Um, <clears throat> but he, he's been involved with um, this orphanage in Mariupol, which is in eastern Ukraine um, and is currently just under incredibly severe uh, fire right now. Um, but basically, these children were were evacuated. Um, and at some point, it's not exactly clear in the process how he got involved. Um, he went to Lviv to help transport them over the border and ended up in this town, this like actually kind of touristy vacation town. It's it's like a very charming, cute little town that's that's really catered to like local Polish tourists. So he ended up in this town um, called Kazimierz Dolny. Um, and he's he's been here or he's been there basically for the last three weeks, um, as as far as I can tell. Um, 
And it was it was really unclear what he was doing. Um, local officials tried to talk to him. There was there was an aide from the mayor's office that tried to ask him what he was doing in the presence of the police. And he was quite aggressive with her, um, you know, said that it was none of her business what he was doing. Um, <clears throat> and the way that she found out was that he had been working with some Polish volunteers who became concerned with with what they were hearing. Um, he apparently wasn't allowing uh, the Polish volunteers to be around when he would talk to the children. Just, just weird stuff, um, and it 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 raised some alarms. And uh, now now there's an investigation that's begun, and apparently he has left the town. So and and so he must have just left though. Right. I think he just left, like liter- quite literally yesterday. And now there's other people from his church, other volunteers that are kind of in his orbit that are that are coming now. Sure. So, uh, you know, just just before we we get more into into that specifically and what you found while you were there. Um, his his uh, history and his background is a little little suspect, right? I mean, uh, this, this aggressive behavior that you're describing with the Polish authorities doesn't seem like it's, uh, out of bounds or, or, uh, strange. It's definitely not out of character. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Right. And and so in this story, it says that he's working with this Texas based, uh, group called loving families and homes for orphans. Uh, and, and I'm going to read this. This is a paragraph from the Seattle times story. The group based in Fort Worth, registered with the Texas Secretary of State in 2018. No such group is registered as an adoption agency with the Texas Department of Health and Human Services. The group is also not registered with the Intercountry Adoption Accreditation and Maintenance Entity, the group that oversees American agencies. A nonprofit group with the same name was registered in Florida just a month ago. Um, it, It seems a little strange, uh, what's going on here and what is it about Shay in particular that is, that is so concerning when it comes to this, you know, this kind of behavior? Well, um, yeah, I mean, so Shay, first of all, that's exactly right. Nothing suggests that he has, that, that this organization has been accredited at all. Um, and so it's, it's very concerning that he would cite this group as, some kind of adoption agency. He's been claiming that it's actually a holding agency, which therefore doesn't need to go through the same rigor as an adoption agency. But there's absolutely no evidence of that whatsoever from any adoption experts um, or, or like, uh, you know, legal experts regarding international adoptions. Um, and in terms of what makes Shay's, Shay such a such a concerning character in all of this is he has a he has a history of exactly domestic terrorism. He was involved in the um, the Bundy revolts in Oregon, um, and this is part of why he was no longer. Uh, this is part of why he was pushed out of office. Um, he also was involved in an incident where he pulled a gun out during uh, a road rage incident. Um, he's been cited to have, uh, written, um, written something about, um, 
essentially giving the biblical justification for killing all non-Christian people in war. Um, <clears throat> he says that this has been taken out of context, um, you know, but given given his his attitudes and his his um yeah his his public attitudes so far it doesn't really seem very far out of line um he has um cooperated with numerous uh very questionable very very right-wing figures uh one person that i talked to today said you know when you when you read about him when you learn about him you know i think any normal person would be concerned. That was someone in this town that I that I spoke to. Someone said, yeah, you know, knowing more about him, any any normal, reasonable person would be concerned and would be concerned that, you know, he's involved in some kind of Christian cult. Um, and and indeed, one of the things that um, the volunteers apparently said was, that uh, they they overheard that he said to one of the children, you know, we're going to we're going to bring you back to the United States to the house of God, you know, so just just unsettling, concerning stuff. You know, who knows what that actually means? Um, but I mean, his ability to to provide, you know, a, a, a loving, caring home, I think from his perspective is very different from what you or I would think is a, a loving and caring environment. Yeah, definitely. So, um, so tell us a little bit about your reporting trip today and uh, you know, where you went and, and what you saw and, and kind of, you know, what, what, what was your intention going there? I know that um, when we had talked earlier, you, you would express some hope that you would be able to talk to Shay himself. Obviously that didn't happen because he already left. Uh, but what, you know, what were you thinking when you were heading there and, and what did you find? Yeah, I mean, so I wanted to just kind of go to this town to like see it for myself, um, just to, to kind of understand w what this town is like. Um, and, you know, I wanted to see the space that the the, the children were were being, you know, housed in. I wanted to, you know, talk to some of the local authorities face to face, see what they thought, see what people in the town thought and felt about it. And I, I, basically, I can say that, you know, the local authorities like the mayor, um, the local police, the, the locals in the community have all been quite, you know, suspicious and concerned about this. Um, so I really wanted to get a chance to talk to them face to face. And then also, of course, just knock on the door and see if there's any way that I could, um, yeah, find a way to talk to Shay or any of the people that he's working with. I also had full expectation, though, that I would arrive and be completely stonewalled, um, which is largely what happened. I managed to talk to the manager of the hotel who basically said, like, look, my my job here is to like make sure that like these kids are you know being fed that they're being taken care of um and it it does look like they are um and that's according to like the mayor's office as well um and the mayor has also you know assured me that me and other journalists that you know there's there's no way that these 
children are going to be transported to the United States without like all the proper documentation. And it's, it's a complicated legal thing right now, but the summary is essentially that um, in order for an adoption to be finalized in Ukraine, it needs to go through a final judgment from a local judge. So a judge in Mariupol, for example, um, of course, because of the war, all of that is, you know, indefinitely on hold. Um, the director of the orphanage is apparently also currently in transit. She's just been um, she's just been evacuated from Mariupol and hopefully is like on her way. Um, and that's going to hopefully help answer some questions. Um, but there are two other guardians that did manage to to come with the children. Um but basically, the, the Polish government cannot take on that judicial process of, of like, finalizing an adoption and, and releasing children to families, especially not international families, even if the adoption process has gone underway. And it does seem like there were um, several children for, for which that was the case. Um, yeah, we've seen reporting on that. Uh, you know, here in the U.S., there, there's, um, I've seen like upstate New York, Maine, a couple of different, you know, places in the Northeast. There, there have been people who they've talked to, uh, who reporters have talked to about, you know, they were they they're hoping that the children can make it in, but um, obviously this this does throw a wrinkle in it. Right, right. I, I mean, and and as far as I can tell, you know, they're getting psychological counseling. They're they have food like and at one point, you know, I was walking up to where they were staying and basically it's it's up like a long winding cobblestone road, uh, like sort of on the top of the uh, of a hill in this small town. And then like a, a group of of children, like a large group uh, started walking up and it was pretty clear that they were that they were this this group of of orphans that um, that we have been reporting on. Um, and, you know, I, I managed to talk to some of the volunteers. Um, some of them were genuinely surprised at what I was saying about Matt Shea. Um, like they they really didn't know about it or didn't seem to know about it um, and, and were quite shocked. Um, a lot of people are just just like here to like help them and like they the kids like did seem in like good spirits like apparently they're they're trying to like get them enrolled in school um you know they they went on like a walk in this town um i think they were kind of interested in me because i was like speaking english you know they came up and said like hi my name is you know whatever um like to to kind of show that like they've been practicing um and yeah yeah, I mean it's it, it it is a little bit different than I think some of the way that we've heard about this has kind of uh, I think the way that it's been kind of flattened a little bit in western media has been to say that uh to give this impression that Shay is just kind of walking around with 62 children in tow. Obviously that's not the case. Uh you know, there are other people there. Uh you did mention though that that there was a little hostility uh toward you from members of his church. Can you talk about that a yeah. little bit more? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I managed to talk to some volunteers who were like happy to speak with me, but like once I got to 
once I got there, um, there was a man that came out, at, you know, and was like, you know, go away. We don't want to talk to you. You know, we, we have no comment, you know, and I continued to ask questions, you know, about Shay and what he was doing. And, you know, I, I asked the question, like, look, you know, you claim that you're here to like save children. That's, you know, an incredibly noble cause. Why, what, what is the, the like secrecy around this? I, I don't understand. I'm not, trying to to talk to these children obviously they're vulnerable um and, and that's not the aim here but you are ostensibly responsible for them can you can you answer any questions um and just nothing just absolutely nothing you know he he kind of barked at the volunteer that i was talking to and was like are you going inside um you know and she had to stop talking to me um uh the 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 other members of the staff like asked me to leave. I I was pretty insistent that I I would stay until like maybe I got a chance to speak with someone, and I I did end up speaking with um, the hotel manager, and I think that was pretty much all that I would be able to get get from that. Um, but I mean, I do know that Shay himself had a, a very negative interaction with you know, this, this female aide that was working at the, at the mayor's office. And he, he basically said like, you know, I don't have to tell you anything, you know, uh, like, why are you asking me questions? Uh, there is, there is that attitude. I think a lot with, with, uh, you know, these kinds of extremists where they, they do live in kind of a different world in, in their mind, they don't, they don't have to. You know, they, like, they right. really don't think that they have to. Right. I think I think like in their mind, it's really like, you know, um, that, that they are the only ones that can actually do right by these kids. And it's the rest of the world that's like evil and corrupt and is going to like harm them. Uh, obviously, the rest of the world thinks that that attitude is incredibly suspicious, Right. And like, so I, I think there's this this hesitancy um, for them to talk to journalists because they think that it's all just like a political hit. Right. That it's all just just propaganda against them. And, you know, they'll they'll never be able to explain. And it's like, well, yeah, because what your beliefs are are like scary, actually. And it yeah. is going to like look strange. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think that, I think that's, I mean, like, you know, like, like, like we're saying, it's, it's certainly not something that only happens um, in Poland or, or, or in Ukraine. Um, so I wanted to, I wanted to shift a little bit and just uh, move to some other work you've been doing on, on refugees and talk about your piece in the nation about uh, this, this uh, kind of refugee center, I think uh, I, I could describe it as maybe. Um, mm-hmm. That's that's been opened for uh, some of the African refugees who are fleeing Ukraine. You know, people from Africa who who, who were living there who who fled the violence. Um, and mm-hmm. yeah, can you talk a little bit about that? Can you talk about how how you kind of got connected with them? Yeah, I mean, actually, the way that I got connected was probably the way that a lot of other people got connected. I just saw his number advertised on Twitter. You know, I saw that people were saying you know, um, hey, like, you know, I, I I have a story about this person who's been detained at the border. You know, my 
my sister's really scared. Um, you know, she's, she's a Nigerian student. She's, uh, you know, or, or he's, he's like an African and student and, and they've been detained at the border. They've been having a really hard time. They don't know where to go. Um, and someone posted, you know, if you're in Poland, like call this person. And so I, I just gave it a call and I, I just got in touch with, uh, Dr. Omotosho and, um, he was really generous with his time. And I, I basically just explained, you know, Hey, um, you know, I'm, I'm interested in knowing about, uh, what, what the situation is like for, for a lot of these students. And you seem to be somebody that's, that's on the ground working on it. You know, can I, can I follow you? Can I shadow you? And he said, yeah, sure. Um, come along. So um, I got to meet with him on the day that he finally secured like real lodging um, for people that were fleeing. And that was that was a big day. Um, and I mean, he was just fielding calls all the time, just call after call after call. He showed me his text message inbox. It was like hundreds of messages. Um, he, he was just really working hard to get people situated, um, you know, and, and every refugee needs, needs help, but there's been a lot of infrastructure to help Ukrainian refugees. And, and a lot of the people that have been left behind are people of color. Yeah. Last time, uh, last time you were on here, you actually mentioned, um, that there, you know, at the time there wasn't, there weren't any real confirmed reports, but that there was certainly the, the threat of, of, of violence, uh, kind of like white nationalist violence. Is that, is that still something that's, that's going on? Has that been kind of dealt with or has that gotten worse or have you, is it even something that you're hearing about now? I mean, I'm hearing more like issues with like refugees being detained at borders. That's, that's really the concern among activists. Um, mostly because once they're able to get across the border, I think they've developed enough infrastructure that they're able to like pick people up and like transport them to directly and like take them to places where they're safe and where they're like out at, you know, not out in the street, which is where, you know, they're most likely to, to face violence, um, from, from white nationalists, like patrol units, like people that consider themselves to be, um, you know, like civil servants that, you know, are patrolling the streets and are kind of, um, sorry, what's the word? Um, extra ju judiciary, uh, watchdogs, but, but that actually just end up being, you know, hooligan, uh, um, people that terrorize black people and, and people of color. Um, and, yeah. and attack them. So, I mean, I think most people haven't faced that kind of like direct violence. I think it's been more concerns about, um, about detentions at borders. Uh, I think there was an investigation from Lighthouse, uh, and I think it was published with the independent, um, the, the independent has been doing good kind of like regular coverage of this. Um, but it's it's more detentions and then also their legal situation once they arrive in the country. So they have only many of them have only 15 days um, in order to like 
basically like say that they're looking for another university or like that they have intentions to stay. But there's also been um, a lot of issues where the uh, the EU government, basically the, the EU commission has said, you know, we are we're extending visa free residency for all Ukrainians um, for 18 months and it's extendable to three years. You know, you can, if, if this applies to you, you can enter the job market, you can get welfare services like healthcare, um, all, all kinds of, of benefits basically that any EU citizen would have. But very notably, this excludes short-term residents in Ukraine. So if they have a short-term visa, they're excluded from this law entirely. So that basically means all foreign students. And while they've said, you know, we will help you get out, you know, you you have to go back to your country of origin. And that, that can be extremely complicated for, for people that you know, put a lot of investment into getting into Ukraine in the first place. Like, so for example, I wrote another story um, for Al Jazeera that was about a girl that I met at uh, that refugee center. Her name was Vera. She was three months pregnant. Um, She just had this like horrible, harrowing journey getting out of Kiev. Um, she, you know, it, it took so long. I think she was traveling for four days with like very little food and water. She finally got across the border and just completely fainted. Um, and she woke up in a hospital on the Polish side of the border and then ended up getting to Warsaw where she connected with this refugee center that I was writing about. Um, and, and her situation is really difficult because basically she's, her husband is at home back in Nigeria and she had invested something like $16,000 into an education, like a bachelor's degree in Ukraine. And there's all kinds of reasons for that. Um, but you know, one of them is, you know, it's a European education. It's considered to be a higher value degree. And also there's a lot of teacher strikes in Nigeria that really like disrupt education. There's a lot of students that are fleeing that. Um, So she invested a lot into this education. She was, I think, one semester away from graduating, either one year or one semester. I can't remember off the top of my head. But in order to pay for part of this education, her husband had to take out a loan from a loan shark. Um, And basically, she's left without a degree. She's left without any proof of her studies. And and all of this hard work is just gone. It's just gone. It's just literally up in flames. Um, And and her husband is now, like, on the line for, for thousands of dollars, which, you know, I mean, in Nigeria is really a significant amount of money. I mean... You know, I think he's on the line for four thousand dollars and and she also helped pay for it with like work as a cleaner and and other jobs. But I mean, like you know four thousand dollars is yeah, huge, huge investment of time and energy and and not to yeah. mention the schooling, and it's just gone. It's just gone. and and like basically, her husband had to put up as collateral this plot of land that's worth many times more than the loan is worth. Um, and it's this land that's been in his family for generations. 
I mean, she was just completely distraught and she was just like, you know, all of this is gone. Like, you know, how, how am I going to get a degree now? What does this mean? How how are we ever going to like pay this back? I mean, she was just at a complete loss. It's really, really hard. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can't even, I can't even imagine just, and and that's, and, and, and that's just one story of many, obviously. I mean, there's just so many. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, in, in that article, you say that there uh, were 76,000 international students uh, registered in Ukraine, many from Africa, India, or the Middle East. And obviously, we've right. heard a lot about, um, uh, you know, many of these people and people working there, uh, you know, just kind of trying to get out. Um, and and it does, it you know, it does add like another dimension to this, uh, to this human crisis where, where, you know, there, there are uh there, there are so many there, there are millions of of ukrainian nationals who who are who are fleeing uh but then there are nationals of other countries as well who are fleeing as well i mean it's 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 not solely uh a ukraine problem the uh, you know fleeing fleeing the war here no this is truly an international problem and none of this is to diminish the the suffering that ukrainians are facing i mean the, the stories from ukraine are also just like unbelievably tragic. Um, so, you know, this, this is not a comparison in, in any way, but this is, this, this conflict is just causing so much pain, um, internationally, simply put. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, absolutely. You know, uh, last time you were on, we were talking about, um, you know, the issues around human trafficking, uh, that have popped up. Now, obviously, uh, you're going to find this uh, in any kind of situation like this where, where you have a lot of people in these kind of tenuous situations who who are who are very vulnerable. Um, and, you know, we talked about this uh, last time we had uh, a caller, Masha, talk about also, you know, if anybody wants to call in, feel free. Uh, we'll, we're certainly happy to talk to you guys. Um, and since then, I, I wrote I wrote about this uh, about two weeks ago. Um, a staff member from the Human Rights Group International Justice Mission told The Independent that the situation on the Poland border and the winter weather is making things difficult. And while there are legit groups and people offering aid and comfort, there are also opportunistic traffickers lying in wait. And so the staff member says, women and children wait for long hours to cross the border. If someone offers you a warm car, you're going to take it. You want your children to be warm. Yeah. Um, and, and with the, with the implication that, um, that, that has meant that, you know, some of these people have just been taken, um, you know, and, and we talked, we talked about your experience kind of seeing people who, who, who may or may not have been, uh, legit, but that it was very difficult to tell. There wasn't kind of any vetting process in place. There wasn't any kind of way to tell, um, you you know you've been talking about the infrastructure being being better now. Um, has 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 the Polish government kind of addressed any of this uh, kind of stuff, uh, or have you seen any evidence that they are addressing it, or or is it still kind of kind of this kind of ongoing like undercurrent of a problem? I I think it's an ongoing undercurrent of a problem. I mean, it's extremely extremely hard to monitor. Um, I mean, 
organizations like, you know, reputable organizations have done a lot of work, I think, vetting volunteers um, and, and also have like kind of thrown volunteers like at the border. So like most people are like are able that like offer help are are able to say like, I am with this organization. Like here's, you know, all, all the people that are like, you know, accountable here. So it's not just like a stranger showing up and saying like, get in my car, I'll take you to France or I'll take you to Norway or whatever. A lot of that I, I haven't seen a lot of that lately, but I've talked to, you know, just Ukrainian women that are going across the border, like just chatting with them, talking with them. And they've also been hearing, you know, messages from the Ukrainian government uh, and, and other sources basically saying, you know, like when you cross the border, never hand your passport over to someone, um, you know, like try and try and make sure that you only go with like an organization um like just just trying to like give tips to people to like protect themselves basically so and i think that that's partly just because it's extremely difficult to like regulate um and to enforce but i i do think that people are aware of it um you know, and, and sex trafficking has been an ongoing issue in Eastern Europe in particular for many, many years, um, especially since the collapse of the Soviet Union, which left so many people so impoverished. Um, you know, I think that's that's had a long history here, and it's something that the Polish government and other Eastern European countries have done their best to combat, but it's it's really, it's very, very difficult. I've heard, I've heard some stories of, um, of Ukrainian women saying that they've been raped, um, after they've like come to Europe. I've, I've also read stories about rental schemes that offer like greatly reduced rent for refugees in exchange for sex. So a landlord will say, you know, uh, well, like the the normal monthly rate, uh, you know, as as is standard, you know, in in the market rate is two thousand euros a month or something. But I'll give it to you for two hundred if you, you know, uh, are, are are like a friendly woman who's willing to, you know, have fun times together. Like the the language is often pretty vague, um, but definitely suggestive. Um, Very and clear there's been what an, they're saying, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's clear, you know, and they say, you know, like, no, no men allowed to apply, you know, women only. Um, you know, you, they're, they're asking, like, to see a photo first. It's, it's quite clear, like, what's happening. So um, I've heard about that happening um, in, in some countries. Um, and I've also heard that local governments are, are doing their best to combat that. So, yeah, yeah. definitely, definitely, uh, a, a disturbing, a disturbing situation compounding. Um, yeah. it, let's, uh, for the last little section here, um, I wanted to, talk to you about uh you took a reporting trip to Lviv this was um 
uh, well before your trip uh, to to go check out what Shay was doing. Um, can you talk about what that was like? I know you were there when they did the airstrike, I think, on the airport, right? Um, yes. Which was kind of like that was the first time uh, that the city had really been targeted uh, yeah. in, in, in that way. Can you talk a little bit about what it was like before and after that and just what you saw there? Yeah. So um, I went the day. There, so there was first this uh, airstrike on this military base in Yavoriv, which is very close to the Polish border and is also close to Lviv. Um, so I, I went the day after that, actually. Um, and, and when I was going into the country, the, the border guard was like, you know, are you scared? And I was like, I mean, a little bit, you know, uh, uh, <laughs> I'm not going to say no. Um, it, it was a little frightening. Um, and, and also my, my experience getting into the country was interesting. You had to like wait for many, many hours. Uh, I think the whole trip took something like 12 hours, um, on like a train ride that shouldn't be more than like two hours. Um, and, and once I finally arrived, I arrived basically with, with like 30 minutes until curfew. So if you're out after curfew, you know, you, you'll be stopped by the police or, you know, um, I wouldn't be able to get to where I was staying. Um, you know, there were some people on the train with me, some men that were, were going back to Donbass and they, we exchanged information. They told me that they just ended up sleeping in the station because, it, you know, it was curfew by the time they they could like figure anything out. So they just stayed there and then continued on eastward the next day. Um, and then, so yeah, I was I was in the city and it was it was calm. It, it was a very calm city. You know, everybody was basically going about their lives, except for the air raids, right? So or air sirens. So you know, a couple times a day, there'd be air sirens, you know, everybody had to stop what they were doing and go down to the shelter. But, you know, people would, would go calmly, casually, a lot of people would just ignore it, frankly. Um, and then when the airport was hit, I think a lot of people got scared, you know, that the, there were, that this was like the first time that people were seeing like smoke and you know, an explosion in the city. So people inside the city could, could see the smoke from the airport. Um, and I, a lot of people left then. So, you know, the, the trains had been calming down a lot. Uh, the train station was a lot calmer, but that day uh, the train station was, was pretty full. Um, yeah. 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 So, so people were, were getting scared thinking, you know, okay, like, all of our hopes that, you know, the war would definitely not come here. Um, I think we're, we're dashed, but I mean, there's, there's still a lot of, I think, faith in the idea that like, there isn't going to be um, a, a really advanced ground troop, uh, advancement of uh, Russian troops all that far West. Uh, they're, they're still, you know, struggling to, take Kiev. So, you know, getting that right. far west does seem at this point unlikely, but there there have been talks that there are concerns about an attack from Brest in Belarus. Um, I mean, it's certainly a situation where even even without ground troops, there could still be a lot of destruction done, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, just uh, just yeah, people are, are concerned about missiles, but um, 
I think in the city center, you know, they, a lot of people have faith that like when they hear the error sirens, they, they like have time to hide essentially. Uh, And so, so people are pretty calm and they're, they're mostly in good spirits. You know, I, I know that Lviv has been kind of like a, a, a pass through area uh, for people fleeing from, from the east of the country. Uh, you said that the train stations were pretty calm, but um, did you see any kind of evidence of that, like that, that kind of flood of people coming from the east part, eastern part of the country uh, heading, heading west toward the border? Um, you know, did it seem like there were a lot of displaced people coming through, or was that kind of maybe just on the trains and, and, and not so evident uh, in the city itself? I mean, I think the, the like, main flood is, is, like, mostly over. Like, so by the time I got to back to Przemysl, like, the Polish town on the border, so I I came in on Tuesday, and by the and, and I had to take a train from Przemysl to Krakow. Um, that was yesterday, or yesterday, day before yesterday, sorry. Time, time is a fluid thing right now. Um, no, absolutely. The, the, the train station was really, really empty compared to what I had seen before. I mean, because what I had seen before, I mean, it was just packed, just completely, completely packed. It was just total chaos and confusion. And now it's like pretty calm. And I, I think the same is pretty much going on in Lviv. I mean, the trains to get into Poland are, are still quite crowded, um, but there isn't this like rush to get out. And, and also like I took, I got a ride to the border and, you know, my, my driver was saying, you know, a week ago or like two weeks ago, or, um, you know, this, this would have been 30 kilometers of cars, 30 kilometers. I mean, that's gosh, like, uh, 18 miles, 20 miles. Yeah. 18 miles. miles, something like that. I mean, just like, it would be, it would be like eight to 10 hours to walk all of that. Um, you know, and that, that would be, I mean, and people are going with like plastic shopping bags and like rolly bags and like just the first shoes they could put on when they were leaving their house. So, um, I think, I think that was really, uh, not possible for people, but I mean, the, the city itself, has, according to the most recent estimates I saw, taken in 400,000 people from around Ukraine. Um, and I think the average, I, I could be mixing this up, but I think the average population in normal circumstances is like 200,000. That could be wrong, but like the point is they've taken in just an enormous amount of people. Um, and And there are there's a lot of problems that I've heard from refugees where like they're having trouble finding like reasonably priced places to stay. Uh, I, I had a meeting with the, I had an interview with the mayor and he, he likened this to looting, like, you know, rent profiteers. He, he said that this is essentially war looting. Um, so he's working on trying to, um, introduce a law to like make that not happen but i think a lot of people are really skeptical on about like how useful that will be and i think they think that um it it's going to be the same inflated prices just on the black market 
So yeah, there's going to be like that predatory behavior. Um, yeah. Because these people are desperate. I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's obviously a different thing than the, uh, than the trafficking, but it does come from the same place of, of taking advantage of people who are in these, you know, uh, I- extremely dire circumstances in order to, right. to make money, which is, uh, not great. Um, what's, uh, you know, just with the, we just have a couple minutes here, but, um, I'm curious as to what you've kind of been hearing, what the attitude towards Russia is in Poland. Um, you know, are like, are people talking like they, like, I'm, I'm not talking about like, uh, politicians or, or, or even like uh, media commentators or pundits in the country, but you know, just people you're talking to. I mean, do they do they think that they want to go to war here? Um, do they do they hope for a kind of a peaceful resolution? Do they think that such a thing is possible? What is the general attitude towards the war and towards Russia in general? Yeah, I mean, I think the attitude towards uh, Russia is, um, you know, basically that. Uh, they are unequivocally aggressors and i think people are very afraid of of russia here um there's so there's been a lot of calls to close the sky in ukraine so establish a no-fly zone um i think that poland is a little bit more ambivalent but they are very interested in um like digging their heels in with NATO, I think. Uh, I think they really believe that NATO is is a way for them to be protected. Um, you know, I think Poland and also the Baltic countries, so Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia, um, are, are all like extremely concerned that, uh, you know, once Russia is finished with Ukraine, they're going to come for for them next. Um, the Czech prime minister, I think also essentially said this, that, um, that, you know, once, once Russia broke the Hungarian, the, the Budapest, uh, referendum, which was a referendum, I think in 1994, uh, or no, maybe later, sorry, I'm mixing up my dates, but basically the Budapest referendum is something that I've heard a lot about that that essentially um, Ukraine agreed to give up all of its nuclear weapons in order for Russia to promise never to uh, violate its borders. Obviously, this went out the window in 2014 when uh, they um, invaded the eastern part in Luhansk and Donetsk and also uh, annexed Crimea. And I think um, a lot of Poles and also Ukrainians feel like, you know, well, if that went out the window, you know, that that was like our first chance to resolve all of this diplomatically. We, you know, we pressured Ukraine to to give Crimea over to Putin. You know, now what? Now, now what is going to happen? You know, if this this isn't. Uh, something that can be resolved diplomatically, I think is how a lot of people feel. That's what I've mostly been hearing is they want it to be resolved diplomatically. Of course, they want it to be resolved peacefully. But I think they feel um, concerned that, that that's maybe just not possible. 
Yeah, there's a level of paranoia. It feels like you know. That, yeah. And 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 a feeling of it, it's 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 interesting that this war seems to have kind of pushed these central central eastern european border states kind of you know in between like western europe and russia uh you know closer to 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 the west um mm-hmm. and and almost like you know the the war appears that it was kind of you know intended to uh make a point and to uh kind of ensure that this wouldn't happen uh, but it seems to have had the opposite effect. Also, the fact that uh, it's been kind of slower going, uh, you know, it hasn't just taken like a week, um, has, it feels like that has kind of a- a- affected things a little bit as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, so, absolutely. Um, well, cool. Well, um, Carol, thanks so much for joining. Did, did, did we, uh, did we cover everything? Did we miss anything? anything yeah, no, I, I think that covers everything. I mean, I've, I've seen a, a lot since I've been here. Um, and you know, I, there's, there's, there's so much to talk about here. Um, you know, yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll be writing some of this stuff up uh, for the Daily Beast. Um, I've got another couple articles that are that are in the works. Um, yeah, I'm I'm so happy to be here, and you know, this is it's great to be here as always. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and and just uh, can you just tell people where they can find you? Yeah, so uh, you can follow me on Twitter at uh, at then Carol said like. Then Carol said a tweet. Um, and yeah, you can follow me there and see where some of my articles are being placed. Um, like I said, I've got some stuff coming up for the the Daily Beast, which is who I'm reporting for, for this uh, Matt Shea article. Um, and also a dispatch from Lviv, where uh, I talk to people in line uh, waiting to buy weapons to defend themselves. Uh, that was, that was an interesting set of conversations. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm working yeah. on a bunch of stuff and, and I'm, I'm here. Just follow me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That sounds, that sounds super fascinating for sure. All right. So we'll put that, uh, we'll put that in the show description. Uh, Carol, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks everybody for listening. If you're listening on the app, once again, uh, please be sure to subscribe to the show. Uh, if you listen on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, uh, subscribe and rate us, please. And uh, yeah, we'll we'll see you guys next week. Carol, thanks again so uh, so much for joining us, and uh, hope to see you back home safe soon. Yeah, yeah. Likewise, thanks so much. Right, bye bye. Bye. All right, bye.